All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We are live here from the KFVS Digital News Desk. Clayton Hester here, streaming at you here um, from KFVS headquarters. We've got David Yaskevich with us here today. David, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you, as, as always. And um, we are here for Money Talks. It's our program all about economic headlines, all the news you need to know about them. Um, what may be affecting your wallet, your stock portfolio, or anything that uh, has to do with money, all those prices like inflation, which is, of course, a recurring story here on Money Talks and, and seeing what the state of things are with that. Um, what does this latest report say as far as what we're looking at with the consumer price index? What, what's that tell us? Latest report had some good news. It had some less good news. I won't use the word bad news. But um, the latest report, as we have been expecting, we've been expecting lower monthly or excuse me, lower annual numbers for inflation if you look over a 12-month period. And the reason being, if, if we were to look at the uh, last quarter of 2021 and the first half of 2022, that's where we really saw the steepest increases in the cost of living based on the inflation numbers that get reported. So if we just haven't kept up which is a good thing if you have a slower pace of inflation since then. If the end of last year and most of this year have had a much slower pace, you should see that 12-month number gradually decline, which wouldn't be any surprise. So that's what we've been seeing. The most recent number, which will look at 12 months ending in the month of March of this year, so just last month, we'd see an overall rate of inflation of 5% for the headline number, which would include all the product categories, including food, and energy. So 5%, that's that's a pretty uh, significant decline from the peak from this past June, where that 12-month number would have been 9.1%. So 5% is much lower than what we saw at the peak. However, uh, it's still not good enough to be at that 5% rate. You would want something closer to 2% to be in line with the Federal Reserve's goals of what we would consider price stability. And to be closer to what we experienced before the pandemic, you really want something in that 2% range. So 5% was the overall number. The monthly rate would have been one-tenth of a percentage point, which would be a small rate of inflation for a monthly number. Now, I would just bring in that other idea that that might have been the good news, but there was some information in the report that would have been less than good news. I won't say bad news, but less than good news. And what I mean by that is if you exclude food and energy, you'll see a higher pace, um, you'll see a higher estimate for the pace of inflation. The reason why the headline number was a bit lower than the core number was that you saw food prices fairly flat during the month of March, but you saw a pretty significant decline in the Bureau of Labor Statistics' index for oil and for gasoline. So declines in energy prices uh, were really why we saw a, a lower rate of inflation for the headline number than the core number. For the core number, the 12-month rate would have been 5.6% with a monthly pace of inflation of 0.4%. And it's that core estimate so excluding food, excluding energy, seeing for other product categories of goods and services, seeing that higher pace of inflation or still still fairly high pace of inflation of a 0.4% number for a monthly rate, that would still be a point of concern. 
So if we tie in the inflation numbers to interest rate policy by the Federal Reserve, even though we've seen the, month, the yearly and the monthly numbers inch downward, I don't think you're really going to see much of an argument to stop increasing interest rates, or at least you won't see an argument to prevent the last quarter point interest rate that many are, are speculating will happen based on this inflation number. So that, that's, those are some things to keep in mind. But I would really emphasize that we are continue, continuing to see disinflation occur, but we're still seeing a high rate of inflation compared to pre-pandemic norms. So there's still more progress that is need to, needed to be made when it comes to inflation. But if we look at this week's inflation report, and then we see other reports that came out within the last week as well. So for example, last Friday, we got the monthly jobs number which would have still indicated a tight labor market. However, the pace of job growth would have uh, declined or the pace of job growth would have been weaker than in prior months. That's a sign that you're seeing some cooling or some slower pace of activity in the economy. Earlier today, we also would have gotten a report on retail sales and we would have seen the second straight month of declining retail sales for the U.S. That was in a report that came out by the Commerce Department earlier today. We saw a 1% decline in retail sales, and there were several categories where retail sales were lower. If you look at this retail sales report, the jobs report that came out last week, and then the inflation data that came out today, it looks like at the end of the first quarter of this year, so pretty much we're looking at March, we're seeing some cooling of activity which if we wanna see inflation return to normal levels, this is something we would have to see. So in, in, in that sense, it could be considered good news. Uh, but if there's continuing slowdowns in future months that we would see, then, then if there's any implications for the labor market or other markets, then there might be some concerns about a slower pace of growth in that sense. So there's some good, there's some bad, and uh, they're, they're, they're both there in these reports. All right, certainly. Um, we also have to look at the, um, the meeting minutes from the Federal Open Market uh, Committee's March meeting, um, and those were released this week. And so we're, we're, we're looking as well at um, whether they, their considerations about making those changes in rates, um, what did they end up deciding on in terms of that? Where'd they, where'd they go with that? Well, about a month ago, this would have been in mid-March, actually less than a month ago, but uh, maybe three weeks, um, the Federal Open Com Market Committee, which makes decisions on monetary policy for the Federal Reserve, and in particular, they set the federal funds rate target that gets highlighted every time they meet and captures attention in, in the markets and in, in, in headlines. And the last time they met was shortly after a lot of those uh, stories about problems in the banking sector were happening. So when we had the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and also Signature Bank in the second week of March, there was a lot of concern that there could be some contagion across the banking system, particularly with smaller and mid-sized banks. There was also a concern that there could be some longer-term effects where banks would make lending standards harder. So they might require um, better credit scores to receive a loan. They might require more collateral to receive a loan, or they just, just, they just might get more uh, pessimistic or stingy when it comes to 
lending practices. So there was some concern that there could be some tightening in credit markets as a longer term effect of the turmoil in the banking sector and even what some would call a credit crunch. So that, that was a concern three weeks ago, um, kind of in the middle of March. So there was a lot less information available to the Federal Open Market Committee when they had their meeting last month than we have right now. And some of the details that were provided in their meeting minutes were enlightening in terms of what the policymakers on that committee were thinking about. And some of it we were able to speculate, and it just confirms a lot of the speculations uh, analysts would have about what the policymakers are thinking about. For example, uh, there, there was a lot of discussion, apparently in their meeting, on whether to increase interest rates at all at their March meeting. So there was discussion that it may have been better to err on the side of caution and hold rates steady. There was discussion of that, but they didn't choose to do that. If you recall, they chose to increase the uh, target range for the federal funds rate by 25 basis points to a range of 4.75 to 5%. So even though there was some concern about the weakening in the banking sector and the overall economy, the policymakers still chose to increase rates, which you would tend to increase rates if you're, if you're somewhat confident that you won't see a sharp reduction in activity. Or, or another reason why you may increase rates is you just think inflation's a, a bigger problem. That's something else that was included in their minutes. Uh, they also had discussions on, uh, well, in addition, they had discussions on why they were choosing to raise rates. And it sounded like inflation or read like that inflation was still a primary or a key policy target that really had some sense of urgency or some uh, priority associated with it. So inflation is too high was another uh, takeaway from the Federal Reserve's meeting minutes. Another issue or another point that could be taken away from the Federal Reserve's FOMC meeting minutes would be the R word recession. During their meeting, and this is what captured a lot of headlines this week, what I mentioned already, concern about the banking system, concern about inflation, we could have guessed that. We could have told you ahead of time that that would have been in their meeting minutes. Um, but what really took a lot of headlines and actually moved markets a little bit one day this week would be the word recession. Um, separate from the policymakers on the Federal Open Market Committee, there's also other staff that work at the Federal Reserve. And there were staff economists who gave a report during this meeting, and they were projecting that as a result of the economic conditions at the time and also what was happening in the banking system, there was some anticipation that there would be a, a mild recession, okay, mild recession, the exact term used, uh, in the latter half of this year, 2023. So they were saying that that would be a baseline model, although they did say there was a lot of uncertainty in that forecast, given that in the middle of March, a lot of the turmoil in the banking system was was fairly new and, and just happening. So for, for example, if it turns out to be the case that that turmoil was primarily due to a small number of banks with poor risk management practices, well then they're, they're, they're uh, a forecast could be adjusted based on that. If, on the other hand, it is something that would spread across the banking system and you would see much tighter lending standards across small and mid-sized banks, well, then that downside potential would be more of a concern in that sense. So that was probably the, the, 
maybe the more surprising thing. While a recession has always been considered a possibility for the latter part of this year, seeing that actually as a baseline scenario in a uh, report by staff economists at the Federal Reserve was released. Uh, probably one of the, the bigger surprises in the meeting minutes. So uh, if, if you saw that in the headlines this week, that's really the details behind that. All right. I suppose one of the things that um, is intriguing about that is the idea of, you know, a, a mild recession um, starting in the latter half of 2023. Do, do we know at all if they had uh, said something along the lines of whether it's that means it's the onset of a recession that carries on into the future if they, you know, what they predict, predict as far as um, that lasting any amount of time, what that, what that means. Yeah, a mild recession would be uh, a fairly short or some fairly small magnitude and a short duration. So uh, recovery sometime in uh, the following year, 2024. Okay, good to know, good to know. Um, we're looking as well at the situation with regards to teleworking, um, you know, which businesses are, are doing that and what does that uh, mean as far as has that declined? Um, and we, we've got more information on that from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and uh, what, what do we see there? What's, what's the report indicate to us? Yeah, it, it, that was about two weeks ago, but it's been two weeks since our last uh, meeting here on Money Talks. And um, in this pandemic era, uh, there's been a lot of discussion on working from home. Uh, is it something that is really a phenomenon that's going to take hold at a lot of uh, businesses and, and organizations? Is it something that businesses and organizations can use to attract potential workers? And is it something that workers really enjoy? It also asked the question, is it something that could affect towns and cities in the United States where areas that really haven't had large clusters of employment could start to attract people who could work from those areas that could have pleasant features and they could work remotely for firms located elsewhere. So there's a lot of imagination and uh, speculation about the possibilities from work from home. That's why I like this report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It gives you some understanding on what the current context is or the landscape is when it comes to how many business establishments actually have workers who on a regular basis work remotely. And what you're going to see, this is the second year that the Bureau of Labor Statistics has done this report since the pandemic. And you'll see a significant decline in the percentages of business establishments that have some or all of its workers working remotely. Okay. So the, the number that, that I looked at or the number that I noticed is a key takeaway. In 2021, about 40% of businesses in, the, in their report, excuse me, uh, about 40% uh, had some or all of their workers working remotely. And in the more recent report that came out, which would have covered calendar year 2022, that number was much smaller at 27.5. So 27.5% of businesses reported that they have some or all of their workers working remotely, which would mean what's the flip side of 27.5%, 72.5% reported that they rarely or never had workers working from home during the year 2022. So most, most employers do not have their employees work from home or, or work remotely. Uh, 
but as a, a non a non negligible share at twenty seven and a half percent does. But if you go through this report further, as you would expect, some industries use uh, working from home and remote work a lot more than other industries. So the top industry would have been what we call the information sector, which would be tech jobs. It would be media jobs. Those are typical jobs that you could do, and you might not have to be face-to-face -face with your clients. It might be nice to be face-to-face -face with your clients, but it might not be essential for that. For that industry, the information industry, roughly two-thirds of businesses reported that some or all of their workers worked remotely during the year 2022. Uh, the second largest category would have been business and professional services. That could be marketing, that could be banking, that could be financial services, it could be accounting. So again, another category there, that's at roughly 49% of their workers. Again, some or all work from home or remotely during the year 2022. Now, other, other categories of industries would have much lower numbers, much lower than the overall average, because there are some industries where you have to physically be present manufacturing and construction would be good examples on the service side where you have to be physically present with the people you work with so that could be healthcare, that could be food service workers those are are jobs where you see much lower rates of working from home so that's kind of what you're expecting so the takeaway would be roughly a little over a quarter of, of businesses uh, have some or all of their workers do it but there's been a sharp decline in the last year from 2021 to 2022 I would expect as we move further and further away from the pandemic year of 2020 that we'll see that number go down a little bit more next year, but we'll wait and see that. Another part of the report that I thought was a bit enlightening, uh, as, as we've talked about over the last two years, there's been a lot of talk about labor shortages throughout the economy. And there was a question in this report, again, on teleworking that asked a question to businesses on how are you trying to recruit workers for unfilled positions? And it had a number of options that they could choose from, and they could choose any of them. And one of the options that they could choose would, would be, are you trying to attract employees by allowing your employees to work remotely or work from home? And that actually had a very small percentage, less than 1% of the businesses in the BLS survey said that they actually were trying to recruit workers by expanding working from home opportunities. Uh, as you could imagine, higher pay, spreading the word of mouth through advertising or maybe uh, contracting with the hiring or recruitment service, uh, maybe in, in enhancing the bonuses or benefits to employees. Those were, were really the top categories for trying to recruit talent at, at businesses that were having difficulty finding workers. But to re remote work remained a fairly small, uh, uh, had a small percentage of businesses reporting it as something that they use as a recruitment strategy. So overall, interesting report. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about teleworking and working from home uh, in the news. We hear a lot about it uh, when we hear about some high-profile companies that are introduced or, or adopting work or return to office mandates. Uh, but uh, I like this report because it's giving you some idea on the overall landscape across the broader range of industries and occupations in the United States. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gives you a much, much better picture. Um, looking then ahead to the weeks to come, is there anything of interest to economists, anything that uh, our audience needs to watch out for coming up? 
I think next week will be another eventful week when it comes to uh, business and economics and what we're seeing in terms of the current business cycle. Next week, we'll get a, a collection of reports dealing with the housing market. That'll include building permits, housing starts, and existing home sales. So if higher interest rates are having any impact on the housing market and housing prices, we'll get some indication next week. Uh, next week, the Federal Reserve's Beige Book, which is somewhat of a qualitative report on what's happening in the various districts throughout the country. So num numerical data, numbers and statistics are nice, but getting some of that word of mouth and ear to the street type information is something the Beige Report tends to do. Uh, also, something on a lot of people's radars next week, we talked about the banking system today and some of the concerns, particularly at larger and mid-sized banks that have arisen since uh, March when we had uh, the issue with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Uh, today, a uh, few of the larger banks in the United States, such as uh, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo and Citigroup, they reported their first quarter earnings reports, and they all indicated rising revenue, rising net income, and an increase in deposits, which is something you might expect for large banks following the, the concerns that arisen out of the smaller and mid-sized banks earlier this year. We're going to get some more earnings reports on Monday. Um, Bank of America and a few others will be reporting their earnings reports, and that'll get a lot of attention. And uh, it's, it is that time of year. Next week on Tuesday, it is tax day. So uh, not really something I really look forward to on the calendar, but just make sure you get your taxes filed by, uh, by Tuesday. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's down, down to the wire, to say the least. And uh, some of us that... Uh, leave it down to the wire, uh, had to scrape, you know, uh, get by <laughs> for this year. Um, but, uh, but all in all, we'll get by, we'll get by, and uh, we'll, we'll make it through. Uh, David Yaskevich, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you. As always, the pleasure was mine. All right. We are going to be headed into Heartland News at 6 in just a few moments. Until then, we're going to turn it back over to Local News Live, as we'll be We'll be uh, with you here for the next few moments, uh, and then uh, we've got our evening shows and e evening news. Check it out just around the corner. <laughs>